Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 351, Chrononutrition and Melatonin Updates. In today's episode, we are going to talk about how your body's circadian rhythm can actually impact your metabolism, your blood sugar, hormones, and so much more. We also will unpack some up-to-date info on melatonin, the body's darkness hormone, and how suppressed levels can lead to chronic illness. Yes, I think that this is a great topic and one that maybe in many episodes we allude to this concept of timing with eating and metabolism and blood sugar regulation based on the clock. But I was excited for this episode to really give ample focus into this new concept of chrononutrition. We're going to talk about how the body actually has clock genes, which are kind of wild, and how sleep cycles can play a huge role on metabolism as well, as well as considering best times to practice intermittent fasting and tips to reduce that pesky blue light that is messing up your melatonin production. All right. Before we do all that, we wanted to let you guys know that we have a keto class locked and loaded for September. So this next round is going to start on September 6th, and we are super excited. This will be the second one we've done this year. Yes. So this is a 12-week-long food-as-medicine-focused to nutritional ketosis. If you are keto-curious and you're looking to boost metabolism or you've read The Anti-Anxiety Diet and you've heard episodes that we've talked about on keto for mental health or you're interested in a boost for fertility and having one of those keto miracle babies, this program is for you, whether keto is a new concept or you've been doing a high-fat, low-carb diet for years, you will absolutely get some elevated information and it's integrated with functional medicine topics so that you can really take whole body wellness to the next level. So we dig into things like hormones and cardiovascular health. We troubleshoot diabetes and dysmetabolic syndrome. We touch on stress and HPA access imbalance. And then we even get into the gut microbiome and how to address dysbiosis and leaky gut and so much more. So if you guys have been following us on the podcast and you want to take your health to the next level, joining our live 12-week food as medicine ketosis class is the best way to do it. You also get access to Becky and my brain on our forum, which is only available to live participants. And that's the best way for you to maybe after listening to a lecture, ask us deeper dive about which lab you should start with or share maybe some of the symptoms that you're dealing with or supplement troubleshooting, even sharing favorite food products and recipes and so much more. We love doing this live and we can't wait to jump into it this fall to make sure that you are feeling resilient and balanced and optimized in your body and going into the holiday season feeling your best. Yes. So the last class is on November 15th, just prior to Thanksgiving. So it kind of hits that like back to school all the way through, you know, getting through Halloween and then kind of prep for the holiday season. It's going to be awesome. Yes. So as we're talking to you, if you're listening live, this is July 3rd. We opened sales today uh, and we will be doing a two week early sale uh, where we'll give $50 off. So go on over to AllieMillerRD.com. Make sure that you check out in our keto class. It's the live September, not the archive version. The live September is the one that will have the forum access direct to Becky and myself. And the live class also has lab savings. So again, if you're looking at kind of taking your health to the next level and actually testing, not guessing, maybe considering an MRT test or the Labrix neurohormone panel, this is the program for you because you're going to get that kind of hand holding direct interactive engagement and support. 
And when you purchase the live program, you get significant lab savings. You also get some supplement savings locked in during that three-month window, which can absolutely pay for the program in itself. Yes, totally. We will see you there. You can find it under AllieMillerRD.com under books and programs. Awesome. Okay. And then today's sponsor is Carnivore Snacks. So I have been talking about them a lot this summer and uh, Becky in real life is traveling right now as we speak. So I'm sure Carnivore Snacks are finding their way into the diaper bag and onto the plane and automobiles and all of the places. Something (laughs) something to keep those kids busy and nourished. (laughs) We love carnivore snacks because they're super light and airy. um, And in the heat of the summer, it's sometimes more difficult to get protein in and meet your protein goals because proteins seem kind of hot and and heavy. Uh, But carnivore snacks is nothing of the sort. They only have two ingredients of delicious. They use regenerative grass-fed meat and Redmond real salt. And the way that they slowly dehydrate the meat creates this flaky toothy amazing some would call it meat pastry of sorts that actually melts in your mouth we also love that carnivore snacks is a pro america brand and they source all from u.s farmers who practice regenerative agriculture if you listened to last week's episode you know that that's important because there is now meat trying to be sold to us that's grown in petri dishes so definitely staying in connection with these high integrity brands is a worthwhile investment. Um, To take it further, they actually even have certification through the Allen Savories Institute that measures soil and carbon emissions to ensure that the meat that they're sourcing is confirming that they're sequestering carbon. So no argument about it being unsustainable for our environment. The texture of the product is amazing. It is going to, through that low and slow dehydration, retain the most bioavailable nutrients and this amazing like pastry-like texture. Um, so if you've tried other jerkies or dehydrated meat products, this is nothing like that. You gotta go on over to Carnivore Snacks with an X. That's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-E-S-N-A-X.com. Use the code AllieMillerRD. You're gonna save 15% on your order and you'll get free shipping on $125 order or more. Some of my favorite products that they offer are the ribeye. They have a lovely brisket. They just came out with a Wagyu as well, which I'm super stoked to try. I'm sure I'll have tried it by the time that this is aired. Then they have sliders, which are just different grinds, um, whether it's ground lamb, beef, or pork and chicken. These are great to throw in your kids' snack packs, temperature stable, and super nutrient dense. What's awesome is each pack is about five ounces. However, due to the fact that it's dehydrated, you're going to get significantly more protein grams per ounce. So an ounce of carnivore snacks is going to yield you, instead of just seven grams of protein, double to almost triple, 13 to 19 grams of protein per ounce. And again, that shelf stability and the desire to eat it when it's hot is all the better to include this as a summer essential. So go on over to carnivore snacks with an X.com. Use Allie Miller RD to save. All right. So let's kick things off just discussing what circadian rhythm actually means because we throw that term around like all of the time, right? Um, And why this is so important. Yes. So circadian rhythm, or you may have heard of it also as a circadian cycle, is this natural rhythmic oscillation, if you will, that repeats in 24 hours cycles. And this will influence a person's mental, physical, and behavior pattern within that day. There's actually a part of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, or we'll call it for the rest of this episode, SCN. The SCN is a part of the brain within the hypothalamus that basically controls our internal clock. So this central circadian clock is going to be influenced by this area of the brain that receives photic information or information based on light that's perceived from the retina. This gets transmitted through the retinohypothalamic tract, which then synchronizes that SCN to coordinate circadian outputs. And within this circadian output, we actually have these 
clocks and clock genes um, that travel beyond the SCN neurons into our peripheral tissues. So we have clock genes in our liver, in our intestine, in our heart, in our adipose tissue or body fat, and then also, like I mentioned, in the retinas of the eye and in various regions of the brain. Uh, there's even so far as a new concept that's come out in the last couple of years called chrononutrition, which is basically the focused study of the relationship between food, metabolism, meal timing, and this network of complexity in our circadian system. Okay. I think I'm following so far. So basically, you know, our bodies are designed to run in line with the rising and setting of the sun. Yes. Um, so, you know, with sunrise, we should be getting up and going for the day. Um, as the sun sets and go downs, we should begin to become more relaxed. We'll actually see physiological changes. Our yes. blood pressure and cortisol levels will naturally begin to drop. Yes. So there's hormetic influences of circadian rhythm, and then there's also the gene influence on circadian rhythm and cellular mechanisms. So quite complex. Uh, and we do know, I just want to kind of call out, we had talked about cyclical approaches to eating for women. Um, and, you know, we put out episode 335, Eating for Your Cycle, where we talked about, you know, whether you're in the follicular stage or ovulation or luteal stage, how there's changes in body temperature, changes in caloric burn and output, changes in satiety, changes in even like socialization and, and mood and desire. We can actually apply similar mechanisms on a day-to-day -day basis. But what's important to distinguish or differentiate is that men only have this 24-hour circadian rhythm, but lucky women, we get the 24-hour circadian rhythm also compounded with our monthly cyclical rhythm, which can make things even further in the world of complexity. Yes. Um, so we talked, you know, in episode 335 about eating for your cycle. Um, and so that I think maybe we'll get a revamp even based on what we talk about Today, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, let's walk through some of the shifts that actually occur physiologically based on circadian rhythm. I was kind of just looking at this fun little graphic and maybe we can post this on the, the um, episode notes. Yes. Page, but um, a graphic of like all of the times mm -hmm. that the things occur. Let's go through it. Yes. So generally speaking, our, if we're starting at like rise around six or 7 a.m., somewhere in that window, we have a sharp blood pressure rise uh, and melatonin secretion stops around 7.30 in the morning. Uh, we tend to get a circadian rhythm drive for bowel movement activity around the 8 o'clock in the morning hour. And then we have a highest testosterone secretion around 9 a.m. Um, I didn't mention, but cortisol also would have that sharp rise in that earlier onset in the morning. And, and so we'll talk a little bit about that today with dawn phenomenon and blood sugar regulation. Uh, we tend to have our highest alertness around 10 a.m. So a lot of people probably give too much of a uh, benefit to their cup of coffee or tea, and it might just be actual a natural mm -hmm. hormetic awakeness that we get at that 10 a.m. time. And then we tend to have best coordination around the afternoon, like 2.30 or 3 o'clock, uh, leading into our fastest physiological reaction time. And that's often, honestly, where a lot of people do incorporate maybe going to the gym or something like that. Um, we have our greatest cardiovascular efficiency and muscle strength around 5 p.m., which could also be that after maybe work exercise time. Blood pressure is going to actually peak around 6.30 in the evening. Our body temperature is the highest around 7 p.m. And then around 9 p.m., we start to see melatonin secretion starting. Bowel movements become suppressed around 9 or 10 p.m. And then we should be hitting our deepest sleep window at 2 a.m. with our lowest body temperature at around 4 a.m. or so. And then that's what then again leads us into that next morning, that 6 to 7 a.m. with that sharp blood pressure rise and cortisol peak. Super cool and definitely like a big coordinated effort of all of these symptoms, these systems, right? Yes. So, um, like you said, tissues and cells actually have like clock yes, genes, genes and, and activity. So yes. this is a cool concept. I know. I know. I think it's really wild. And then, you know, when we have like jet lag, for example, from traveling across 
time zones, we might see this impact of circadian rhythm. Um, and you know, even more so in like shift workers, um, we can actually see increased all cause mortality in that population and just being left feeling tired out of sync. Absolutely. So, you know, when we're looking at our body not able to follow the cycles of the sun or getting thrown off that natural circadian rhythm, um, you know, maybe we're trying to fall asleep earlier or stay up later or with shift working, work through the evening, sleep during the day, you can start to experience digestive problems. You can start to experience headaches and inflammatory disturbances. We can see also insomnia, especially with disrupted sleep cycles like jet lag. Um, And then we know with night shift work, there's actually so much literature out there about increased risk of diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. And this is because we're disrupting that regular or regulating signal of the body and the body is kind of shouting that it's off or it's imbalanced. When we see circadian rhythm being thrown off, we can see any symptoms including difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, daytime sluggishness or lack of alertness. We can see fatigue and exhaustion and brain fog. We can see decreased alertness and difficulty concentrating. We can see lack of control over emotions and mood, headaches, and digestive problems, including chronic constipation. That's a big one. Okay. Um, And then I think one of the most focused impacts of circadian rhythm is actually going to be on blood Uh, blood sugar metabolism control. So we hit on how that cortisol is going to peak first thing, you know, in the morning. Um, Let's talk though about some other mechanisms, how that ties into blood sugar and how we can eat to optimize our circadian rhythm. Yeah, you know, I mean, since there are all these circadian related components that are modulating these activation and expressions of hormones, enzymes, signaling pathways, it would make sense to try to align meal timing with the body's circadian cycle so that we can have optimal blood sugar and insulin responsiveness. And we know that there's other hormones that mechanism weight that have mechanisms in weight loss, like leptin, which is a satiety hormone. Um, and we can start to see even adiponectin or body fat metabolism being influenced. So insulin plays a significant role in adjusting the circadian rhythm in our cells and tissues when we eat. In fact, insulin can actually stimulate the production of a protein known as period or PER. And this can actually determine the length of our circadian rhythms. So if we're spiking insulin because we're eating during abnormal time, especially in the evening time specifically, we see that this can not only have an influence on blood sugar, but can actually disrupt the body's biological clock. It basically combats the signals that says this is the rest time and says this is the the wake time. Um, And so this means that there'll be less distinction between daytime and nighttime, and we can see abnormalities even influencing cardiovascular health with that. Um, there was a study that showed, you know, eating whatever you want to regarding your biological clock can, um, you know, lead to metabolic disorders and we can see obesity, type two diabetes and hyperlipidemia or mismanaged lipids. Um, we can see beyond insulin secretion that these circadian clocks also can regulate our insulin action or what would be called our insulin sensitivity. And this is through molecular control of our postprandial glucose disposal, as well as our hepatic glucose production or how our liver puts out glucose. There is a pancreatic clock. So when we're talking about things in the, uh, in the liver, which would be the hepatic glucose production, we think of the pancreas as the regulator on hormonal level because the pancreas is what's going to make the glucagon telling us that there is a need for gluconeogenesis or production of glucose. And the pancreas will also make the insulin in response to elevated glucose to try to bring that glucose into the cells. Um, And we've seen that the pancreatic clock genes tend to be off in those that have type two diabetes and that this plays a role in dysregulated insulin release. 
uh, as well as dysregulated liver clock genes, which again plays a role with that glucose tolerance and production of glucose. Okay, so there's kind of a right and a wrong time to eat based on our circadian rhythm. Um, Let's talk about the dawn phenomenon and remind listeners what that is. Yeah, so there's two different effects that we could see influenced based on timing and blood sugar regulation. So dawn phenomenon is responding to your body's output of a surge of cortisol and growth hormone at rise. And cortisol, remember, as we've talked about in the world of like stress management, um, can be really sneaky when we're talking about individuals that are dealing with maybe an elevated A1C that otherwise have a low carbohydrate diet, um, aren't eating things that would otherwise spike their blood sugar. We often see this dawn phenomenon as a primary area of focus for those that are going through hormonal shift, maybe perimenopause, um, or those who are going through high seasons of stress. So they're having a remarkable cortisol surge and that in turn spikes the blood sugar because cortisol is a glucocorticoid or a uh, blood sugar driving hormone. Um, And then what's also interesting is there's also the Samoji effect. And the Samoji effect involves a surge of hormones, but it's actually reflective of a low blood sugar episode overnight. So dawn phenomenon is going to be that surge of the cortisol and growth hormone, whereas Samoji phenomenon um, is often following a hypoglycemic effect and then a refractive blood sugar spike, which could be more based on that liver clock and pancreatic clock than as much of the adrenal hormonal mechanism of dawn phenomenon, but both will have elevated blood sugar at rise. Okay, so they're gonna present similarly, but you kind of have to dig in a little bit deeper to see which it is, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. and that's where really the only thing that would help is a CGM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you would want to see that that blood sugar had dipped um, in the middle of the night and then that there's this refractory response, whereas dawn phenomenon might have regulated blood sugar throughout the night and then a surge at rise. And so we would deal with these differently because someone who's having this emoji effect, we might actually bring in a resistant carbohydrate into their evening meal. Um, and we would really be watching how to prevent that blood sugar crash in the middle of the night. Whereas with the dawn phenomenon, which is more common, we're looking otherwise at maybe adding more calm and clear to their evening. Um, definitely considering uh, that phosphatidylserine, which is in there, which can suppress excessive cortisol surge and relax and regulate and really working on that stress management piece more so. Got it. Okay. So a little bit of a different approach. Yes. And then there are also, as I mentioned, you know, beyond the insulin glucose, there are other metabolic influences on a genetic level that works in a circadian rhythm. So there's actually adipocyte clock genes, and these don't seem to impact blood sugar regulation directly. Um, Indirectly, they might because they play a role with appetite centers in the hypothalamus, and they play a role in the daily rhythms of our adipokine release. Um, And so this is basically how we break down body fat. Um, And the adipocyte uh, genes are going to be highest at noon and lowest prior to bed. So that has one of those mechanisms of if you eat the same 200 calories at noon versus the same 200 calories after 9 p.m., you're likely going to actually gain more weight because of that metabolic uh, impact on fat metabolism. So interesting. And again, not calories in, calories out, right? Timing even. No doubt. And leptin would be the last one I would touch on in the world of metabolism. So leptin is that satiety hormone. It also has anxiety reducing effects, can help the body to kind of feel safe. Leptin is highest in the evening. So it should be giving us that signal that you don't need to eat right now. And it's going to be actually lowest in the AM. So, you know, God created this perfect design to help us to be metabolically appropriate before man came in and made Taco Bell third meal and or commercials and infomercials that make us want to eat in the evening and blue light and all of these things that disrupt this optimal natural metabolism. And I think that's interesting to discuss because we've said, you know, in other episodes, when we look at obesity, and and how we are continuing to see a rise of things like cancer, it's beyond the toxins in our food. It's it's getting away from nature. It's getting away from that natural connection of how we were designed to function. Okay, so if we are eating the way we are designed to function, it sounds like hormonally the best times to actually eat would be in the morning and then at noon, and this would support more so the natural trend of blood sugar metabolism and satiety factor. 
Yes, there was actually a diet called the circadian diet that was developed by UCLA researchers. And it put individuals in a 12-hour eating window. um, And all it did is cut them off at 7 p.m. essentially. (laughs) So it had them eat from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And then they did emphasize the caloric density to be flipped with breakfast as the largest meal of the day and the dinner being the smallest. So, you know, again, setting to work with these hormonal clock gene regulators and then ensuring that there was minimum a 12-hour fast while you slept. Um, And they saw significant beneficial outcomes on lipids as far as uh, cholesterol regulation, uh, body fat loss, overall weight loss, and blood sugar improvements. Um, so they say here, breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, dinner like a pauper. So mm-hmm. kind of a little bit opposite of, of what I think most people have as the norm. Usually dinner is that largest meal. Yes. Yes, most definitely. And so when we're looking at that, like as an example, that would mean that you'd really want to sit down and have your breakfast being, if you're looking at distributing, for instance, 1600 calories, right? You'd really want your breakfast to be like 750 to 800 of that. Um, and then, you know, hitting maybe like 600 and then 300, um, something like that, give or take, or maybe it's, you know, 700. And then we're looking at 450, um, I'm trying to do my math as I'm going 700 plus 500 calories would be 1200 and then maybe 400 calories in that evening meal. So definitely that, that impact. There was a recent meta-analysis of nine randomized clinical trials, um, looked at over, uh, 485 participants and they looked at higher energy consumption earlier in the day with higher consumption, uh, later in the day on, on how that impacted weight loss and metabolic parameters. And they found significantly greater weight loss in groups with higher energy intake earlier in the days compared to those with the higher energy intake later in the days. They also found greater reductions in total LDL cholesterol, fasting glucose, and insulin resistance um, in the groups that had their higher or more dense energy intake in the earlier part of the day versus the later. How does this affect intermittent fasting? I'm sure that part is coming. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, so really what we're looking at doing is rather than this kind of 12 to 8 p.m., which I think is the more classic 16, 8 intermittent fast, meaning that you uh, break your fast at noon and then you finish eating at 8 p.m., it would really be superior to do an 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. window as a 16-8. And so especially for those that are dealing with stubborn metabolism, maybe are um, seeing nothing working for them, I think that doing a circadian reset calibration would be a great technique to throw at for maybe six-week window. Um, I do think also that this is something that you could apply uh, like an 80-20. So for instance, maybe you want to do this 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. window on uh, Monday through Thursday, um, or even Monday through Friday, or Sunday through Thursday, and then maybe two days for social on the calendar, like your Saturday and your Friday night would be the ones that you'd want to do a noon to eight window so that you could do dinner out with friends. I still think you would get good bang for your buck just because there is so much solid research out there that continues to support these metabolic influence of working with our clock genes. Okay. That sounds more doable than like every day skipping dinner. Cause I feel like in our house dinner is like a main event. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think for listeners, it's, it's really thinking about your priorities and your goals, sure. right? For listeners that are looking at getting into optimal thrive, maybe they don't have to take that sacrifice, but for listeners that have more than 30 pounds of weight to lose, I think it would be a worthwhile, sure, yeah, you yeah. know, condition. Yeah. Um, and I actually do that with a lot of clients. I've been doing that intuitively before digging into a lot of the research where I'll have, um, maybe it's a mom and she still feeds the whole family a meal, but she sips fond bone broth at dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when we're worried about concerns of like disordered eating or other family members observing that, what does that mean? I said, you just have to have an honest conversation. I mean, I think that there's nothing wrong and that's an issue with this cultural, you know, battle against weight loss right now. I think it's okay if you're an overweight mother to tell your teenage daughter that I'm doing something to invest in my body and my wellness and I would like to lose some weight and this is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that that devalues you as a human. I don't think that should create anxieties and body dysmorphia. It's actual factual conversation about what you're looking to do and how you're investing in your health and how changes take sacrifice to make outcomes. Sure. I have a lot of clients too who've like flipped, yeah, like we said, the the 
density of the meals, I guess. And they're doing right now, especially in the summer when it's just so hot, you don't want to turn on the oven. They're doing like a smoothie bowl yes, at night and it green still smoothie. feels really, you know, satiating and cooling. And, you know, you could put some fun toppings or something on it, but we can still keep it like really calorie controlled. And I think that can work nicely too, as kind of a bridge. And what I like about that as well is that doing a smoothie or bone broth in the evening also discourages alcohol consumption. Sure. So it's another nuanced element that when we think of social eating and communal dining, um, especially for me, like at a restaurant, I'm generally going to want to have a glass of wine or a clean cocktail. And so if I wasn't doing that evening dining out, I'm not only saving and working with my clock genes, but I'm also saving those calories and the toxins associated with alcohol right. consumption. Yep. yep, that makes sense. Okay, so let's dig a little bit more in some of the studies and then we'll talk about applications. So um, we also saw in a study that both glucose tolerance and insulin sensitivity have been shown to be lower in the evening than in the morning. Um, and so again, we're seeing that you have, you're going to be, um, metabolizing glucose less efficiently in those evening meals than you would earlier in the day. And, um, there was a meta-analysis that was done in 2020 and they looked at acute glucose and insulin responses after nighttime meals. So anytime from 8 PM to 4 AM and how these differed from the responses after daytime meals, the exact same composition, identical meal, um, but at 7 AM to 4 PM versus 8 PM to 4 p.m. And they found that the postprandial glucose and insulin responses were significantly lower in the daytime compared to the nighttime. And then in 2022, there was a systemic review, systematic, excuse me, a review of eight randomized control trials. And they looked at consumption of carbohydrates at night, and they found that this also led to higher postprandial glycemic values than that same consumption amount in that morning. So no significant difference that we're seeing in the composition of the meal, but the timing is really a key thing. Yeah, super, super interesting. Um, okay, so I think, like you said, kind of a hybrid model of this would be practical, you know, if looking for weight loss um, and you know beyond timing getting your circadian rhythm back on track um, can be implemented through other elements of lifestyle and yes. supplement support um, so let's talk maybe sleep enhancement specifically i know you've got some updates on melatonin that you wanted to share yeah, there was a really cool study that I read uh, by a mentor of mine, Dr. Um, Minnick, um, and she does a lot of work with the Institute of Functional Medicine, and she put out an article called, Is Melatonin the Next Vitamin D?, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, you know, she likens them both to pro-hormone antioxidants and having multiple mechanisms and what they have initially been looked at, and we know that melatonin, you know, really over this last decade decade, I think, has seen a lot of clinical value in the world of oncology and cancer. Uh, we've talked about it in our breast episode about its antioxidant effects on protecting against breast cancer specifically. We've seen benefits of melatonin in Alzheimer's disease and really any form of cognitive decline. We've seen influence in multiple sclerosis, fertility, PCOS. And especially it had, a, I think, a pretty shining light during the time of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we've talked about that in a couple of our episodes when we either were hitting on long haul and or you know supporting in the viral constructs and, and influencing immune function. Um, and that's because melatonin is a super potent antioxidant. It's also an immune activating agent and it's a mitochondrial regulator. So again, has really powerful mechanisms. And so what Dr. Minnick uh, likened it to was that, you know, if vitamin D is a sunlight deficiency, well, then maybe melatonin deficiency is a darkness deficiency um, or, you know, this overexposure to artificial blue light, which I thought was really interesting. You know, both have this argument of getting outside more, mm -hmm. um, but still it's kind of an oppositional influence. Yeah, super, super interesting. Yeah. So she calls melatonin nature's most versatile biological signal and um, argues in this article that, you know, it's, its application far surpasses the influence of sleep. Um, but, you know, when we look at melatonin production, it, we talk a lot about the pineal gland, um, a part in the brain that makes this amphilic, meaning both water and fat-soluble antioxidant. Um, but with that being said, 
we actually see melatonin to be available in both animal and plant foods, as well as using melatonin in the gut. Um, and actually that more production, 400 times more melatonin is made in the gut mucosa than in the pineal gland in the brain. Um, so there's this huge influence on that gut brain access. And um, we've talked about melatonin actually in the world of reflux and heartburn and how that can help with that sphincter valve. Um, and so there's definitely probably some other mechanisms in the gut mucosa that we haven't even tapped into. Sure. But yeah. I know that that's kind of a secret trick that I'll use melatonin for GERD mm-hmm. um, or reflux disease. Um, and we know that melatonin is derived from serotonin. And we've talked about how serotonin 80 plus percent is made in the gut. Um, so melatonin is going to use that 5 hydroxy tryptophan and tryptophan as its building blocks in this melatonin serotonin pathway which is largely impacted by our gut mucosa and our gut microbiome okay um what else about melatonin do we want to yeah i think production and age is important to touch on so you know we make about a milligram of melatonin a day when we're at a peak timestamp. Um, what's interesting is babies don't start to produce melatonin until three months of age, but breastfed babies get melatonin from their mother's milk. So there's another argument, right? We talk about how breastfed babies might sleep better or have less digestive issues. Well, melatonin could be a huge part of that. Um, and we've talked about how, you know, breast milk has CBD as well. So there's a lot of these neurological influences that could really support that thrive in those early imprints on baby's health. Um, we know that from infancy to adolescence that there's just an ongoing increase and that melatonin production tends to plateau in the tanner stages of puberty and then they decline with age starting in the late 20s. Um, so age is the primary factor as we go into, of course, our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s um, of melatonin decline. But then we would also look at those that are stressing their circadian clocks. So those that are subject to jet lag based on work travel or those that work a third shift shift, um, overuse of artificial light, which interferes with how the retina reads those photo or light tonic compounds and impact that brain mechanism. Um, So this could be looking at your cell phone, computers, TVs, even the LED lights in your home. Um, All of these create challenges to these circadian clocks, um, which then can throw off even how the gut itself manufactures melatonin. Okay. Um, and I imagine, you know, the increase in screen time, especially amongst those like, I don't know, elementary to like yeah. teen, tween ages um, can play a big role too. Absolutely. And that would be an argument for making sure that, you know, there's like a central charging station, if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> for your kids, uh, especially the preteen teens, so that they don't have their cell phones to scroll, not only the mental health impact of social media, but just having that disruption when we're supposed to be in a time of total darkness. And what's more beyond the blue light is that we've even seen environmental toxins, so heavy metals, um, et cetera, those found in our food system, that these can also directly drive sleep disturbance, especially those that are excitatory. Um, And then this can interfere with that melatonin regulation. And we would even consider things like sleep hygiene. So getting the temperature colder in the room, um, supporting, remember that drop in temperature is supposed to be at 4 a.m. the coldest. Um, and you start to get hot somewhere between 6 to 8 p.m. Um, and so adequate darkness, um, maybe noise control or some like white noise, uh, making sure bed and pillows are comfortable, all the ways to set up a healthy environment will actually not only influence sleep quality and the benefit of your metabolic clock genes, but it will actually also synergistically support your body's melatonin production. Um, and so again, melatonin responds to environment in both ways. It's kind of this synergistic platform. And just because you're sleeping well doesn't mean you don't need melatonin in your body because of its influence on antioxidant, immune, and metabolic properties. Sure. Um, and we had that great episode really far back. I don't know what number it is off the top of my head, but all about sleep hygiene. And I think that's a good one to like dig back into based on what we're talking about today and kind of how you can set up that environment for success. I know like, you know, um, light blocking curtains, what are those called? 
What just blackout curtains. Blackout curtains. Yeah. So I'm like, what's the word? <laughs> yes. What's the special word? Um, those have made a big difference for us in our home, for sure. Most definitely. And, you know, so melatonin on a supplemental level is something that can be considered as well. Um, and this would be a really great way, again, for those of you that are dealing with metabolic distress and maybe the sleep isn't bugging you, but you know that your body's metabolism isn't optimized, melatonin might be a way of kind of kicking that uh, clock gene back into optimal thrive mode. Um, There was a meta-analysis of melatonin on treatment of primary sleep disorders, and it analyzed over 1,500 individuals, and melatonin has a statistically significant effect on reducing sleep latency or the time it takes to fall asleep, as well as increasing total and quality sleep time, which again, when your body gets that kind of charging uh, mode, that means that then your clock genes work better throughout the day. You have better output of leptin for satiety. You have better insulin sensitivity and insulin release, glucose control, and so much more. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit more about things you can do to kind of optimize your circadian clock. Yes. So beyond considering your eating windows, um, you know, I want to kind of go into just some other lifestyle support here, and then we'll close maybe with an example day of intake of following that optimal eating window to just kind of further lay out a a visualization for listeners. So I think you hit it for sure, Becky, as far as like light. Um, and so manipulating your light is one of the best ways to renormalize your circadian rhythm and get these clock genes to work best for you. So we, we want to make sure that we are getting in natural sunlight, ideally within the first hour of rise. And for those that are in the Pacific Northwest, um, we have seen in some studies that artificial blue light is actually can work as well. Um, but best would be sun and direct light outside if possible. Um, and so getting your body in this mode of brightness at rise is a great way to use light for your advantage. And then in the other end of the spectrum, making sure that you are using dimmers in the house at minimum, swapping out LED bulbs for you know a, a standard light bulb, which doesn't have that bright blue light um, would be a consideration or using lamps maybe instead of recessed lights is one way that you can easily control that. So maybe your household at 8 p.m. turns off all the recessed lights. You don't have to go into like the photo rooms, like like biohackers, like Ben Greenfield and such will put like red lights in their house. That to me is a little extreme for quality of life. But I think going to lamps from recessed lights is a reasonable lifestyle change in the evening. Um, and then, you know, of course, avoiding technologies and blue light screens, ideally two hours prior to bed is something to consider. And then blackout curtains and or sleep masks. I will link my favorite sleep mask that I've been using forever since Becky got me the first one and um I now use the Luna it's a silk sleep mask and I just get like one every year and a half or so um and they are fantastic I, I can't sleep without them oh man I don't even know where mine is <laughs> <laughs> well you got those blackout curtains I yeah, guess so that works true. Yeah. I'm sleeping with no curtains so we definitely yeah. need that yeah you do. you do um the other thing you can play with is is that meal time change right so Playing with fasting to actually eat in sync with your body's circadian rhythm can help to address this disruption of your circadian clock. Um, And so if you are traveling, you might need to fast to bring your internal clock back into rhythm, if you will. Um, And intermittent fasting, again, being ideal to break the fast earlier and cut that fast um, earlier in the day, I guess, as well. Um, This is going to be best for blood sugar and insulin response. Okay, and then I think getting into nature um, is a really important recommendation, right? Like actually seeing the sun yes. rise, right? I think so many people are getting these like infrared bulbs and like red mm-hmm. light things that they're looking at. I'm like the most natural source of that is actually the sun yeah. at sunrise, right? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, we see study after study. We have we can link our episode on like nature as medicine or mm-hmm. whatever we called it. Um, but when you go out into nature, when you're getting higher oxygenation from trees, uh, when you're, we called it like forest gazing. We talked about studies on forest gazing and camping. Um, this is getting your body back in the way that it was designed to live. So laying under the stars, letting the sun go down. Um, you have your little fire going in the dark, but you're resting your body, um, having light and temperature change, listening to the insects and their cadence or the birds. Um, this is a really great way to help your body to rev up its natural signals for optimal balance. 
love that one. Um, I think more of us can do that. And, you know, it's free also, yes. which helps. We don't need a special lamp or a yeah. biohacky device or whatnot. Yes. Going back to move forward. Yep. Yep. Um, and then you mentioned melatonin supplementation um, as well as, as a really good way, I, I would say, especially if you're like really off and just need a hard reset, yes. um, that can be a really great time if you're just like, I've stayed up after midnight for mm-hmm. years and I don't even know where to start. I don't get tired at, you know, the nine to 10 window that we probably should be, you know, getting ourselves down. I think that can be a good, like hard reset mm-hmm. tool for sure. Yeah. A couple times a month for sure. I personally do, I call it like a Cinderella reset <laughs> where I'll be like, okay, um, you know, this Thursday or whatever, I'm going to bed actually at 10 PM. I'm going to take two sleep support from our naturally nourished line. And that's going to give me three milligrams of melatonin. What I love about sleep support is it also has a good blend of calcium and magnesium to help with the neuromuscular relaxation. It has a good blend of herbs. So Chinese skull cap, passion flower, um, lemon balm and valerian and hops. So all of these nervines that are very calming, it will, not only support a relaxed state, but truly deep restorative sleep where I feel like I was in a charging station. And when I wake up, I feel like a million bucks. Um, I really am a big proponent of sleep support for that use. Some individuals listening would want to use it for you know six to eight weeks daily until they really feel like their clock genes are back on track. And then they might use it during travel or whatnot, or again, as this kind of Um, recreational reset or I guess indulged reset for brain and body Um, and I also am a big proponent of using sleep support um, beyond travel and those those poignant resets at times of immune stress so if someone in the household is sick I'm gonna not because I know that sleeping is also going to support my influence of uh, cellular regulation on immune but that melatonin itself has those immunological properties and so I would even reach for that um, you know, at the same time that also I'd be upping my vitamin D for instance, there's that kind of, again, synergistic impact there. Um, but I'll link sleep support as I think one of the best ways for working with this chrono nutrition and helping to get your body back on track. And this can be used absolutely with teens as well, especially if they're dealing with really disrupted sleep cycles. Okay. And then I'd probably add in there, relax and regulate. That's my favorite tool, um, for sleep. I'm not currently using sleep support cause I'm still breastfeeding and some of those herbs are a little bit questionable mm-hmm. in there. Um, but I'm tired enough anyway with <laughs> <laughs> yep. still, um, wake ups during the night, but relax and regulate for that neuromuscular relaxation and that suppression of, um, cortisol output to really help to reset. I think that's a fabulous tool. Um, and I would also throw in there as we're talking just supplementation, I know we talked a little bit about calming clear and kind of using that, mm-hmm. um, if you are experiencing, especially the dawn phenomenon, like playing with that, you know, at nighttime, or if you are having middle of the night wake ups, I think that's a fabulous tool. Um, and then also on the topic of supplementation, I think berberine boost could be oh, an totally. interesting tool to use here too, um, to kind of harness and rein in the blood sugar element. Oh yeah. And as we've talked, uh, in past episodes on berberine, you know, it has that AMPK influence. So you're also getting that muscle mm-hmm. influence, which would work with the adipo, um, kind feedback and those clocks with body fat metabolism. I think berberine boost would be a great one for listeners that are looking to get a metabolic boost. Um, and in that vein, of course you would need our keto class, uh, to learn how to optimize and balance your blood sugar levels. So uh, we hope today's episode has... Oh, before we go into closing, I do want to share like a day yeah, layout. Take us through like the yeah. perfect ideal day. Yes. And I would note, you know, again, this is very foreign maybe to some of you listeners to think about breaking your fast at 7 a.m. Um, and so maybe you start instead um, of eating your breakfast like a prince and eating your lunch like a king and still keeping dinner as a pauper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's more appealing to me when I think of like morning time. I think I could easily pack in a solid, you know, 500 to 600 calorie smoothie at rise right away. Um, I could absolutely do, you know, two fried eggs with some microgreens, slices of tomato 
tomatoes and maybe like a pork patty sausage. It would be quite hearty though. And I'm thinking right now as I'm talking in Texas when it's 101 degrees, <laughs> that I probably would start my day more with just a nutrient dense smoothie. And I would use a scoop of our naturally nourished grass fed whey. I would use a scoop of our pure collagen. I would use a half can of full fat coconut milk. So that would give me a good 250, 300 calories in the coconut milk itself. Um, I would add in some organic berries, some greens, some ginger, some maca, um, and uh, maybe also a tablespoon of flax and chia. And that would be getting me pretty close to like a 500 calorie smoothie. Um, and I think that's probably still a remarkable shift for me. Sure. <laughs> and then I would go for lunch to have a big old side salad with radish and an olive oil based vinaigrette and microgreens and anything else I can kind of find seasonal in the farmer's market. I would do aiming for like a six to eight ounce piece of protein there. So this would be a filet of salmon or this could be leftover barbacoa from the day prior prior shredded beef um, or carnitas or uh, grilled chicken thighs you name it Um, but like two thighs instead of just one and then maybe even having like a mozzarella caprese side as well so that this lunch is going to be more of like that anchoring 700 to 800 calorie meal and then in the evening i would be a big proponent of sipping on bone broth maybe even using some of the you know zero carb noodles in there like the miracle noodles or other clean brands of like a cognac to get like a faux kind of deal with maybe some chopped scallions and um keeping that lighter at like a 350 um which would be a full jar of fond and still like three to four ounces of clean protein maybe some hot sauce on top um and that would be how I'd lay it out. Okay. And what time would you go to bed? Oh, and you know what? If I do a boosted <laughs> coffee or tea mm-hmm. and I add heavy cream and collagen, all that, I think that that would even go further into my smoothie yeah. world. And yeah, so yeah. That probably would lay out close calorically. Yeah. And then when would exercise be? When would bedtime be? Yes. I'm like an ideal yes. circadian. So I think best if we were cutting off that meal, I would still do that meal post-workout. And so ideal would be to work out sometime after that lunch meal. So like 2 p.m. if the world was able to work in that vein. Um, but for me personally, that's like chaos time of wrapping up clinic and then picking up stells and whatnot. Um, I think workout would be more of like a 435. Maybe that's something you can do with your kiddos even, which would be pretty rad. And then, you know, as you prepare everyone dinner, you just kind of go for that lighter option there. Okay. I yeah. like it. I and like you could also do that workout window at more of like an 8 a.m. after you have that smoothie and you could get half of it in before and then the rest of it post-workout. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think that would work fine too. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, hopefully this has at least given you some considerations on lifestyle, supplement support, and ways that you can optimize your chrononutrition and get sustainable wellness outcomes, even if you just take one of the many suggestions that we had in today's episode. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, go on over and leave us a five-star review and a couple of sentences about why you love the Naturally Nourished podcast, wherever you're listening. And then you can find links to the research found in the episode notes um, over at naturallynourishedrd.com. The actual products and supplement line, you'll find at allymillerrd.com and grab a spot in our keto class. See you soon. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at allymillerrd.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at allymillerrd on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.